Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Startup Sales. Today, we're going to speak about growth hacking. We have uh, Stefan Efrim with us, and we're going to speak all about, you know, sales and how to copy paste your clients and uh, looking at the margin, looking at the top of your funnel, everything that you you need to growth hack your way into uh, better sales. So it's going to be a really interesting episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey everyone, before we get started with Stefan, I wanted to let you know that uh, I opened up office hours on my uh, website. So you could go to startupsales.io and find a, find a time slot that works for you under the office hours. So if you have any questions or you want to run something by that's in your funnel, feel free to head on over there. Uh, there's, there's a few time slots each week that are available and you could use us as a resource. Let's get to today's episode with Stefan. All right, Stefan, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. So can you give us a little bit of background about who you are and what your experience is? Yeah, sure. Uh, actually, I started my professional life as a butcher with my father. And after a while, a while, I left because I wasn't feeling super comfortable in that in that job. And I discovered the startup world in 2011. That's already nine years ago. And since then, I've participated at all, all kinds of different levels in about 50 startups around the world, uh, B2B tech startups uh, that I helped uh, grow uh, in internationally first and then internationally and uh, help them get as many customers as possible. So your your main focus is kind of like growth hacking. Yes, yeah. Okay, and what is growth hacking? <laughs> That's a good question. So if you, if you look at it by definition, the real definition that I, to me I think is the... the the closest to the truth, if that's if something like that exists, is that you should be able to um, experience a, a very interesting or a very exponential growth with the same resources. So the perfect example, if you look at WhatsApp, for example, they have they had a, a definite amount of resources, ten or sixteen people, I think they were, and f- with the same team, they went from maybe a thousand users to a billion. Yeah. And so that's to me real growth hacking because they really ha- find a way to hack their growth without uh, without growing the resources or not that much. And so for B two C companies, that's uh, we saw many examples. We saw WhatsApp. We saw Hotmail. That was actually the first example of if you know it, you should Google it. If you don't know about the growth hacking example with Hotmail, and then we had Facebook and Instagram and so on. So all those examples. And if you look at the B2B side of the business of growth hacking, we actually took some of those specific techniques they, they used uh, to do to have very interesting growth. But you cannot have the same effects in terms of growth, like having having billions of users in the B2B in the B2B sectors, because in the B2B sectors, you also have a decision maker that has to be involved in the process. And so you have a human touch there. You need to have that meeting that's uh, a moment of time, a customer service or a customer success, something that happens one to one. And that actually 
will not allow a B2B um, uh, a B2B business to have the same kind of exponential growth that WhatsApp, for example, had. Also, you have uh, a smaller target audience, so the viral viralness kind of yeah. is limited. Yes, of course, of course, it's limited because you also have to target to a specific kind of business with a specific kind of needs. And in the B two C world, like you can, it can be anyone. Anyone can use B two C products. Uh, in the B two B world, it's different. You have to be in the right in the right sector. You have to have a specific value proposition. You have to make sure that the decision the decision making process in the company uh, is similar in each company, which is never the case. So, and so all those, all those elements, uh, do not make it actually really realistic to say that you're really doing growth hacking in B2B and the B2B sector, but there is a branch of that growth hacking that really works in B2B for lead generation, for uh, demands, uh, demand creation, for, uh, SEO, for traffic, for emailing and so on that, uh, that has been reused. And so, that's what I've been doing for the last seven or eight years. So. Okay, and where where would a founder start? Like, if I'm if I'm just coming in and growth hacking, like, yeah, I Google that. There's so much stuff. Where, where do I start? Uh, it's actually a good question. And if I would be like a fresh guy on the market today with a completely new project, I would look into growth hacking. Uh, the first thing is actually why you look for it. What's the reason for, for searching for growth hacking? It, you have you have something in your mind that tells you that growth hacking is going to solve one of your problems. So I would go f- with the growth hacking for and then the problem you're trying to solve. So if that would be lead generation, then you should look for growth hacking for lead generation. If that would be for uh, traffic generation, then I would go for growth hacking for traffic. And first of all, I would give you an idea of what kind of things you want, you're trying to solve and see what kind of methods of who are the specialists in that, in, in that specific field. And then another thing I would look at is try to see what kind of a customer I'm looking after, because for, I really saw the difference, like for each sector, different techniques of growth hacking work differently. So it, it really depends on the sector and the vertical you're, you're in. So in, I, I know for sure that in the hospital sector, because we have two customers right now that are in that, uh, in that sector, it's completely different from the marketing sector. So if you're trying to sell to hospitals, well, the techniques you're going to use are completely different from the ones that you're going to try to sell to marketing agencies. Can you give a couple examples of what each, each are doing? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, example of techniques, you mean? The difference? Yeah. Well, first one, very simple, and it just makes total sense once you're in it. It's the tone you use. Uh, so when you when you get in touch with those people, or you, you're you're sending messages across to to hospitals, for example, you have to know that those people have ten or sometimes fifteen years of studies behind them on their back, and they expect some kind of respect. So you never never gonna use their first name in the the way you communicate with them so the tone of voice is very formal and you have to give a lot of technical explanation and so on when you when you work with marketing agencies it's very it's very friendly it's open-minded you can uh, crack jokes and emoticons or whatever they're gonna find it funny it will never work if you mix if you mix it up it's not gonna work Uh, so that would be one thing and then the other thing is actually those people spend time online on different places 
So uh, marketing agencies, you, it's going to be easy to find them on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook. They're going to be super active because they're always on their phone. They're connected. It's part of their job also. Uh, whether the doctors, uh, it's not really the same. It depends on the countries, but like generally in Europe and uh, in US also, mostly they are less prone to be available on social media and so on. So phone is going to work better. Email is going to work better. Uh, all the remarketing ads will work better and so on. Sometimes even the fact that you combine that with events and you meet them also personally and, and or they see your, your ad somewhere, that's, that's going to work better. Interesting. So you kind of have to figure out what kind of persona your, your buyer is yeah. and, and where they uh, hang out and what kind of language they use. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you have to but know your customer. Yeah. <laughs> but don't you think like... You said like doctors and, and stuff, they, they like to be called doctor and yeah. their last name or yeah. most of the time. And it's more formal. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're also human. Don't you think that it's a good approach to come in and kind of speak to them more on a personal level? Yeah, absolutely. Afterwards. But as mm. a first time, you have to really use their code, their way of uh, behaving and their way of their normal way of communication when they meet the first person and they get introduced to something to someone or something and otherwise their their filter is not going to work and they're just going to reject the message from from start so you're losing an opportunity there ah, so you kind of like fly under the radar <laughs> yeah you have to you have to yeah, yeah. it other things can work too but it's gonna so we had an example sorry for interrupting with uh, we're working with um uh, a startup that uh was working with the ngos and so I remember very, very clearly that we had two really opposite examples. We we were using LinkedIn uh, for them to to reach to reach uh, to reach them, and uh, at that time it was still possible to like send automate everything on LinkedIn and send invitations like crazy to people you don't know, and uh, send a bunch of messages like 200, 300, 400 messages per day without being blocked. It doesn't work anymore, LinkedIn. And uh, we had uh, NGOs in US that were super reactive and they really liked the, f the, the fact that we uh, reached out to them via, li via LinkedIn and the message was really friendly and nice and very, um, very, a very friendly tone of voice. And on the other side in UK, I remember we had two NGOs that like completely blocked us. And they reported like, hey, those guys are actually spamming us and everything. And they even found the name of the startup and they called the startup and said, who the fuck are you? Who do you think you, you can invite like all my all my employees on your, your on your network? That's not something that you can do. It's not ethical, blah, blah, blah. And was like, wow, it uh, it took a little bit of fire. So, <laughs> so it depends I mean, on is, the culture. Is that an outlier though? Because I know that I, my approach when I mailing two, 300 people at a time, there's always going to be somebody that comes to me and says, hey, why are you approaching me like this? Or you approach me too often. I'm not going to use your company now. Like you can't be friends with everyone. No, it's, it's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. 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 But it's, it, it, I really see the difference between the sectors. Interesting. Yeah. So not only sectors, but also like location. Yes. And in terms of geography, I can tell you like uh, all the uh, all the English speaking countries are very easy to get in touch in, in touch with uh, because it's part of the culture. It's very inclusive. So I, I really experienced experienced that the first time I went to U.S. 
uh, and the difference with Europe is is really really amazing. Uh, that wherever you go, people is going people will ask you what's your experience, what's your background, try to speak with you, try to get to know you, and having introductions with other people is super simple. Uh, whether when you're or you're in, your, in Europe, it's it's really different. You have first to like uh you have to get kind of acknowledged by some, a few people and then they'll introduce you later on and so it's it's the dynamic is different interesting yeah so when you come in to work with like a new company i know like everybody's different but what's on the top of funnel mm -hmm. uh, for the sales cycle what is generally like the one or two things that you you want like to implement right away uh, most of the time, uh, when we work with uh, tech founders, um, they do not have a good impression, I would say, of uh, generating leads and um, and getting new meetings uh, or or getting demos, for example, because they are really really super afraid of spamming. <laughs> so yeah. we have to do a little bit of convincing about that and say, okay, look, if you're I actually have a a good value proposition and your tool is good. You already have a few very happy customers. Maybe there are other people that would really enjoy knowing about your product and using it. So look at the positive side of it. And so lead generation is the first one. And lead generation, the we have a method that we call cloning. It's very easy. Basically, all the customers we have already have, so the, our customers are, already have a few customers, maybe a 10 or some 10, 10 or 12, 12 customers. And we look into that dozen of customers and we ask them, okay, which one actually is your best customer? And I'm going to all the time designate one specific one, which is one that brings them a lot of money and that is very easy to work with because the project is simple. And so my message with them is, okay, what about we clone that one and I find you maybe a hundred or a thousand customers like this, like this one and forget about all the others. And that works. And the way, the way we do that is that we go through uh, LinkedIn profiles. We have several databases that we look into to try to find uh, similarities uh, between those customers and try to have like a specific persona without actually telling them that we're working on a persona. We're working on a real case scenario, which is this is my best customer and I want all my customers to be like that. Yeah. And, and we dive directly into it. Okay, how can we exactly find like as many customers like this one specifically uh, in, in the world? Yeah, because everybody's talking about ideal client profile, and while it's right, it's scary and it's it seems too complicated. Your way is just hey, find your best client, and let's copy him. Yeah, yeah, copy paste, man. It's just that's <laughs> the whole internet has been built on on this specific technology, so use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, and and what's the the second thing that you do for top of funnel? Uh, the second thing that we do it depends actually on the teams. Uh, because the, um, the philosophy of the teams and I would say the values of the team really makes a huge difference in the way they work. And if they are very well organized and the, the roles of everybody are clear and the manager is also very clear with who does what and what are the objectives, we're going to work on the CRM. Uh, so the software they're using to managing all their leads and opportunities and so on and see how they are how they structured the CRM and how they're using it and if it's optimal. And if the, if the roles are not that clear and they are still kind of building their processes and they just change manager on the team just grew by maybe 50% or so and the, the dynamic is not clear yet, 
then we're gonna work on the sales methods they have and uh, also the process of absorbing uh, all the leads that we generate for them. So it depends whether it's gonna be the CRM, if they're already well, well organized, and if they're not, uh, then we're gonna look on the processes that they need in order to get organized and get results as quickly as possible. And the first result they need when they are not organized and that the one that really takes a lot of stress out of everybody is uh, getting meetings or getting demos. And so we're gonna look to as quickly as possible generate those meetings and those, uh, and those demos so that everybody can just breathe and say, okay, now we're working with Fimgirl, it's fine, we have those meetings coming in, the guys are doing their job, so now we're gonna listen to them. And so that's, those are the first steps that we, that we do. Yeah. So how are you getting this, those meetings with them? Are you cold calling? Do you, do you suggest that people go out and email or LinkedIn? My customers? Yeah, I mean, what do you suggest for the founders? Ah, what I suggest for the founders? Uh, well, most of the time, uh, we have two two cases. First one, they have a big database already that they're not, not using. Like uh, three months ago, we started a new startup that was really complaining about not having enough leads. And when we look into their CRM, they had more than 25,000 contacts that actually they didn't know how to use. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was a, th that was a big gold nugget over there to just take and, 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 and shape it. And for the others that don't have contacts, uh, we're gonna look again, we start from their ideal customer. Most of the time, uh, the decision maker uh, profile is very clear. And then we're gonna look, we combine LinkedIn and other databases we are, we are looking at based on the size of company sectors and so on to find a good database of maybe 5,000 to 10,000 companies that correspond to their profile and work on that. We, we try different channels because it depends. We never know exactly which one is going to work best. It depends on the timing. It depends on the pricing. It depends also what kind of marketing um, uh, they did before actually working with us. And so uh, what works, the three that we try, and then we keep on, we stay on one that works best or the team uh, uh, loves best, loves more, sorry, is uh, or um, a combination of LinkedIn and email or uh, Facebook ads, which work really, really well in B2B right now. Uh, or the last one is um, a combination of uh, emailing and cold calling, or it's not really cold calling then because actually they already know about the company and uh, they're just not responding, actually reacting to the emails. Gotcha. So what tools are you using, uh, do you recommend to put into place to start to implement these kind of programs? Uh, it depends on the maturity, the maturity level of the company. If you're, if you're just starting, uh, go for the, for the free one and the cheapest one because you don't know exactly what's going to work. So investing too much is maybe not a good idea. But if you're just starting, LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a great tool. An emailing tool like MailChimp or something similar is interesting. And uh, a CRM that you feel comfortable with. The one that we are working with the most is HubSpot. Uh, they also have a free version. Uh, and then Pipedrive is, is really nice. And what was the last one? I don't remember the name. There are many, many CRMs there over there. So just choose one that you feel comfortable with. And, and then uh, we make our teams. And I, I would be in a new team right now. It's just force them to use Trello or something similar to have like a, a view, a plan of what's going on this week, what's going on in the next month, what's going on for the quarter and so on, to have kind of a plan because they've 
because you're in a rush, you tend to forget that you're doing so many things at the same time and so many new campaigns start and actually the last one is actually not finished or you did not take the time to finish it and you're not looking at the results. And so because if you don't have the results and you don't have the tracking, actually you're not controlling, you're controlling nothing. And so you don't know if what you did is good or not. And then you go to the next campaign and maybe the campaign that you just left behind and you didn't finish, maybe it's actually it was actually super good. But you don't know that because you didn't finish the tracking and you didn't look into the numbers and then poof, it just disappears. Uh, so to, to just force them, force the team, close the cycle. We have an idea, we have a campaign, we implement it, and then we look at the results and then we decide what's the new campaign. And basically what's usually what they do is that they have an idea, they start the campaign, and in the middle of the campaign, for some reason, they have a new idea and they start a new one. And so those campaigns are never finished or never tracked or measured, and then you don't know. And so the performance there is, is very bad because of that. So Trello is a good tool for that. Yeah, I, I find that so often that, uh, you know, you get so busy working on the business yeah. or, or in the business <laughs> that you don't actually yeah. work on the business. You don't, you don't take a step back and actually look like, oh, shoot, I never finished this project or I never finished that. Yeah. And what you're saying about measuring is so important because so many people are focused like, oh, look, we've got 20,000 leads coming in this month. That's great. Yeah, but only two signed up. That, does, that means something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So you, you need to have your numbers in order and, and so that you could know what numbers to are important. And now that you're saying that, I remember some, a tool that is really, really super important and I would, I would recommend any team to have it if you really want to be performant you have to have a whiteboard, like a physical whiteboard, right? In your desk or wherever you're working, have a big whiteboard. And on that whiteboard, when you start something, just put the name of the campaign on it and also write, write down the expected results. And when you're done, then go and write it down. Like that, that's like making those, those virtual numbers and actions that you're doing all the time on your computer, make, it, make them like take life and be real uh, next to you it's going to help you think better actually and just realize what you're doing so and also it's a it's a very good tool to communicate with the rest of the team and put important messages over there for everybody or if you're thinking about something it just doesn't make sense you just uh, stand up of your uh, from your from your desk and you go and write down something and 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 try to find your ideas brainstorm over there it's 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 a very important tool it's it's stupid right it's just a whiteboard but we've been communicating and thinking, thinking like that for thousands of years. So <laughs> it must be efficient in some way. I, I love the whiteboard and I agree with you. I think it's one of the most important tools because if you have a digital notepad that you're taking down notes and everything, the problem is, is that closes and it, it goes yeah. out of sight and then yeah. you forget to open it. You don't know it's there. Whereas a whiteboard yeah. is in yeah. front of your face all the time. It's yeah. always top of mind. Yeah. And if you can't do that, uh, we actually had a, that problem with one of our customers. They couldn't actually have a whiteboard. I don't remember the reason. Uh, actually, what exists are like super big XXL post-its. Like they're huge, like a human body. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're very efficient. You can just stick them on the, on the wall. And they're like one meter high or something, one meter 20 high, something like that. And I just use that as a whiteboard. And I just take it off and then throw it to the dustbin or whatever. Uh, so this kind of post-it exists also. So if you don't have, you can't have a whiteboard. Yeah. Also, even just a simple like a uh, artist uh, tripod with the oh uh, yeah exactly white paper yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right. What what would be your your three biggest tips to give to the founders to get to more get sales? To, to get more sales. Um, uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. Just get rid of all the customers that do not have a good margin. So really focus on the margin, not on the price. What do you mean by that? Well, you can have... In the beginning, when you start, if you have like a customer that comes in and you, that customer spends maybe sixty thousand a year with your with you and your your product, you're gonna be super happy because the amount is quite interesting, right? And then you're gonna have maybe a bigger customer, a bigger company that's gonna spend double, one hundred twenty thousand. We're like, wow, this customer is so big, so interesting. But it's really interest. It's really important to get to know how much resources you you're putting be- behind each one of them. So if that customer of 120,000 uh, with the contract of 120,000 euros is, is really taking you hours and hours and hours of your whole team, it's not super profitable. But the one that pays 60,000, that he maybe sends you one email per month and is just using your tool without asking nothing. So no, no resources on your side is actually working on it directly. Well, keep the small one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and keep and take more of the small ones, because in the end you get margin. You get a lot of a bigger margin from those guys that don't requ- don't require your resources to work on something specific or customer service, whatever. And with that margin, you can build a better customer, a, a better business. You can hire more people. You can pay them more. Uh, you can invest in in uh, new features, whatever. So looking into the margin instead of pricing is key. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. What are the other two tips? Uh, the other two tips. So uh, the, when I said FOMO is actually linked to that. <laughs> FOMO is fear of missing out. Uh, the fear of missing out is not looking at the big customers like in number, but looking at the one that have a good uh, big margin. And the second one is really focusing on one kind of customer. So even if you say that you have, and it's actually land and expand. So First time you find that for some reason it's working very well with one kind of specific customer that have a very specific need. And I've heard that so many times in the um, in the board meetings and investors saying, yeah, but it's too dangerous because the small the market is too small. Yes, indeed, maybe the market is small in the beginning, but if you get a lot of a lot of um, markets a percentage of that market in the beginning, it's a way to go fast actually because you are solving each time the same problem. You know exactly how to talk to them. Your product, each time they're going to see the features, they will not ask for new features because they're happy with the features. They have, they've been confirmed by the rest of the market. And it's going to give you speed. And indeed, at one moment, you're going to hit a plateau because then your market is done and then you're, gonna, you're not going to have to go to the next market. Right, that is a little bit similar, and then you have to tweak your product a little bit and your processes. But at least you know that maybe for one or two years you can really like scale exactly what you are doing with that specific problem, that specific kind of customer, and really not fear missing out other opportunities because that's your best opportunity. <laughs> I think this is something that's so underrated, and I, I teach this to all the clients I work with as well. Yeah. Because you get to learn how to talk to them. You get to yeah. learn what kind of questions to ask. You get yeah. to learn how to push the momentum of the deal. So instead yeah. of a, like a six-week close rate, you're able to cut it down to a four-week and yeah. just really cycle through them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's the second part of missing out, a fear of missing out. <laughs> and then the third step um, is to really, I've seen that 
unfortunately in many cases too, really listening listening to your team. When you have, especially when there are tech, tech co-founders or tech founders uh, and that are not involved in sales, for some reason, I don't know why it feels like there are two religions. <laughs> <laughs> like there's the, the tech religion and then there's the sales and marketing religion and they cannot work together for, for some reason. If you don't manage to be open-minded and accept that actually their reality is very different than yours and listen when they're saying, look, it, this kind of thing is really hard to sell. There is a problem there. And we have been uh, talking with those eight, nine 10 leads that have told us the exact, the exact same thing about that specific feature that's not um, uh, valuable or the pricing that has a problem or whatever, something that's too complicated for the market because maybe the market is not as techy as the founders or the co-founders. Well, listen to them because they've been in touch with the contacts and there is nothing more frustrating for a sales guy than not being being able to sell because the product is not good. So if he is if he's expressing that there is a problem with the product, listen to him and try a way to 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 act on that. Uh, like find a good um, a good balance between what you know that you want to do with your product in terms of uh, tech specs and features and so on, and at the same time the need that the sales people are asking for in order to make the, make the safe faster and quicker. And so it's your job to find that balance, but it's not your job to be focused on only on the tech and say, okay, but you sales guys, actually you suck. You're just all day long speaking with people. It's not real work, uh, just networking. That's, it's not really working either. I don't really get what those salespeople are doing all the time. Uh, we are actually the real guys really producing the product. It's true without the product. It wouldn't, there wouldn't be a business, but now that you need to scale it, you have to listen to your sales team and people that have experience in sales. And I've also seen cases when they, they listen to sales, uh, to sales teams and it doesn't work, change the team. If a sales team doesn't give you results in less than six months, it's the wrong sales team. It doesn't fit with you and the way you're working or with your company, just change it. That's my experience. Great advice. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great advice. Listen to your sales team. Um, I, I would put a big asterisk on the, if it doesn't work in six months, change your sales team uh, because you're okay. going to cycle through a lot of sales teams. Maybe maybe the problem is not your sales team though. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, yeah. If you, you know, there's a lot of things that goes back to what you were saying earlier is you got to be measuring everything so you can yeah. tell if yeah. it's a sales team. Yeah. Well, that's the thing when I say, if it doesn't work with your sales team, what does it really mean it doesn't work? Yeah. You, if you as a CEO, you see my sales team, I, ha I had that message several times, like I'm speaking in the beginning and they say, yeah, but our sales team doesn't really perform. What does it mean they don't perform? Do, don't they have enough meetings? Oh no, they have a lot of meetings. We have more than 12, 12 meetings per, per week. Okay. Don't they send quotes? Yeah, they send the quotes. Are they signed? No, they're not signed. Okay, why? Or yes, they are signed, but actually the customers are not super profitable. The margin is not good. Okay, but then that's not a sales problem. So you really yeah. have to dig down exactly what does it mean the sales team doesn't work. And if the CEO doesn't get it and then fired it in, in, this, in the six months and the team was actually good, actually that's good for the sales team because they're in the wrong company. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sucks for one person, but on the other side, it's good yes. for the other one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Win, win, win. Yeah. All right, Stefan, I really appreciate you coming in uh, and sharing this great growth hacking uh, advice and, and tips with us. How could people reach out and, uh, and speak to you further? Uh, it's very easy. I'm super active on Facebook. I'm super active on LinkedIn. Uh, not Instagram and Twitter yet. Uh, if you Google me, you're going to find my phone number, my email, the age of my grandmother, my dog, and everything. <laughs> so and your it, passwords. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't share those words. <laughs> so it's very easy to get to to reach out to me. Uh, the name of my company is Shreve. I, th- I guess you're going to have all the details written down uh, in the in the podcast and just ask whatever questions you have you have i'm training also entrepreneurs for the last two years i've been training here locally in belgium about uh, 300 entrepreneurs that were starting their first startups so i have quite some experience on how to uh how to start the business and what to do and what not to do and uh, in a few questions i can pinpoint exactly what's your blocking point and how you should solve it the thing is are you ready to uh, listen to the answer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the bigger question. <laughs> That's the big question, yeah. All right, Stefan, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.